are uh, in the middle of a series called In the Beginning, and I'm really excited about this series. This is a teaching series, all right, so this is a, uh, this is a series that we kind of intentionally go throughout the year to teach Scripture. Uh, part of that is for knowledge, part of that is for you to have proper knowledge of the truth if you're not someone who reads often enough, and hopefully, as I'm going to even show you today, it will spur you to read more. That's why we do our Read Your Bible series and several series throughout the year, so that you will have a thirst for the Word of God, that you will have a hunger to read on your own. But this series is, is a huge series called In the Beginning, and, and this is a quick timeline for you that tells you what we're covering in this series, what we're, anyway, what we're trying to cover uh, in this series, it's a huge timeline from the beginning, uh, this is in Genesis, uh, all the way until, uh, you know, it's kind of Egypt and the slaves, uh, they were guests first and they were slaves, and this is the history of God's people, okay? So real quick, kind of recap, can't recap the last two weeks, but Genesis does mean origin or beginnings. The first book of the Bible because of that, right? Moses wrote five books all right, it covers over 2,600 years all right, in terms of their history. But the first five books of the Bible, uh, Moses is preparing and recording for God's people so that they will have a record of history, their origins, up to the point that they are right then in history. Okay, So that's what the first five books are for. Here's the verse that we kind of parked on for the, the series. Obviously, in the beginning, God. Right? We read that the first week. In the beginning, God. We want to make sure that we start with the foundation of understanding that in the beginning there was God, and, and we don't need to know anything more than that, truthfully. But the reality is we get to, right? We get to know that God created the heavens and the earth. We get to know that God created man in his own image, man and woman in his own image. We get to know uh, how things went after the curse and those kind of things. Um, we know these things. And because of in the beginning God, even more so in terms of our faith, we recognize why we need Jesus and the role that Jesus plays in our life. This is the statement we give you in the last couple of weeks, that the Jesus of the New Testament is the answer to the curse and the genesis of the Old Testament. It's part of why we, this is a big deal for Christians, not just Jewish people and their history, but for Christians and for anyone who follows Jesus to understand Jesus' role in answering the, the curse of the Genesis in the Genesis of the Old Testament. All right, Go back to the timeline. Where we were the last couple weeks, again, I can't do any justice, so you have to go back and listen to the first week, and Pastor Don uh, shared last week, uh, in the beginning, God... These are the dates from Answers in Genesis organization in terms of creation. God created the heavens and the earth. Um, man and woman sinned. Uh, sin was introduced. The curse came. Uh, 1,700 years pass, and uh, everything just gets worse, and so there's a flood. And we talked about the person of Noah last week and the, and the details of the flood last week. Um, and so we have another 400 years in terms of the history timeline that's covered in Genesis, and we show up to this guy named Abraham. Actually, his name is Abram, as we are introduced. You'll see the difference here in a little bit. But his name is Abram when he's born, and God changes his name to Abraham. But this is Abraham. Now, I just want to give you a quick encounter, if I can do it quickly. I have to do several things quickly this morning because there's a lot of content to cover. But, but if I can give you a quick encounter, I want you to see the importance of Abraham to the, to the people of God. 
okay, to the people of God. This is a really quick encounter that Jesus has with, with some Jewish uh, followers of, 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 the, of, uh, of Judaism, right? So this is kind of the, the teachers and, and leaders. He says, Jesus says to the people who believe, who believe in him, uh, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, the Israelites there said, yeah, but we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. They didn't know their history, obviously. Um, what do you mean we'll be set free, right? Well, he goes on to say, listen, I realize that you're descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, exclamation point. I hope you hear the heated battle that's beginning to happen here in this conversation. They declared, no, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father, which a few verses later he reveals, you are children of your father, the devil. Yeah, ooh, yeah, you get it, right? You're feeling it. And you love to do the evil things he does, right? He goes on to explain that he's going to bring everlasting life, that there's going to be life in him. And immediately their response is, look, are you greater than our father, Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are, right? Goes on. Jesus is responding again to their comments. He says, look, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it, and he was glad. The people then said, are you even 50 years old, punk? Right, you guys with me? Can you even, how can you even say that you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. He actually invokes the word for God. He invokes it right here. Several times John reveals where Jesus reveals who he is. This is one of those encounters. I am. And at that point, they picked up stones to kill him, right, to throw at him. Now, I want you to think beyond an inebriated bar fight of two people arguing about sports teams, okay, or who the goat is, can you fathom someone in your own history that, that you see in such regard as they see Abraham? Like, they see Abraham here, and God is, like, right there. Like, they're already mad enough to kill him, and then he evokes God's name, and then they're just, it's over, right? Like, can you imagine anybody in your history? This is 2,000 years after Abraham even walked the earth. That's how important Abraham is to God's people. And that's why we wanted to take this moment to walk through why. Why was the origins of their ancestry such a big deal in terms of why Moses chose to write this and give us about 100 years of Abraham's story? Who is Abram? Abraham. Well, we start off, the story starts off actually in Genesis 11. He's a descendant of Shem. Now, Shem is the firstborn, the oldest, of Noah's three children. And again, go back to last week. Don briefly touched on it. Noah, the ark, you know, saved them. Everybody's populated through this family now. Shem's the oldest, Ham, and so forth and so on. 
okay? He's a descendant of Shem. Matter of fact, it goes back to say the account of Terah's family. Terah was, uh, was the father of Abraham, but he was a descendant of Shem, Naor and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. And, but Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth where his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Naor were married, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram and his daughter, uh, daughter-in-law, Sarai, the son of Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, right, who was Haran's kid, and they moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of, say the word out loud, of Canaan. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived on for another 205 years and died while he was still in Haran. I just want you to see a little bit of the history here. And I also think this is really important because some people that only remember, you know, kind of like your Sunday school felt board lessons, you, everybody kind of remembers that God called Abraham to leave and they think he left Ur. That's not really true. Actually, Abraham was already gone from Ur. Terah, his dad, started the journey. Terah is actually the one who started the family to head towards Canaan before you even see this next part we're going to read, which is the promise to Abraham, the calling of Abraham, the chosen one, we call him, in terms of God's people. And we're going to read into that now. But he's living in Haran at the time. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. Leave it all. And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. We're going to come back to that verse a little bit later today. So Abram departed, and the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Okay? Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth and livestock and all the people he had taken into the household of Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. Okay? This, is a, this starts out helping us understand there's a promise when God chooses Abram. He chooses him. He says, I'm going to make you the father of a mighty nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to curse those who treat you with contempt. I'm going to do this, and the whole world is going to be blessed because of you. And he starts on his journey. Now, again, I think we told you this a couple weeks ago. We're covering a lot of stuff, but we can only hit the iceberg, okay? The iceberg, if you will, the tip of the iceberg in terms of the information. And so today I'm going to give you a couple of what I call kind of summary slides, all right? Write write the passages down, take a quick picture of the screen. Um, Go back and read these on your own because I cannot cover all of Abram's history. And there's something really significant that happens with Abram that I want to make sure we spend time on, okay? So I call this the road trips, which equal family drama. Everybody nod your head if you're right, right? (laughs) Family drama, okay? Road trips equals family drama. Now, here's some of the three highlights we hit. They do get to Canaan. They build some altars. They travel around, and then a famine hits, okay? You're actually going to see this repeat itself a couple more times in Genesis. But a famine hits, and Abram and Sarai and the whole crew have to go to Egypt, Okay, go to, go to Egypt to live as foreigners. Now, what we don't get in the text, is, but we get from the context, is the fact that apparently Sarah is gorgeous. Everybody with me? 
Like she's the most beautiful 60-year-old you've ever seen in your life. At least you'd think so based on what happens. So he, they get into Egypt, and Abram decides that the best plan of action is, listen, babe, when people are going to want you, so instead of them killing me to get you, just tell them you're my brother. I'm, I'm your brother. You're my sister. Just tell them you're my sister. And then they'll treat me nice because they're going to want you. And it says immediately she is taken into Pharaoh, Pharaoh of Egypt, taken into Pharaoh's court. All right? Now, God is upset. He sends plagues. Everybody getting the, the hint here? He sends plagues on the Pharaoh to reveal that something's wrong. Pharaoh goes back to Abram and says, what are you doing? Why did you dupe me? Oh, I'm sorry. You told me she was your sister. Yeah, that's only half true. You have to read a little bit to know that's that part too. It's only half-ish true. She's actually my wife. So, of course, Pharaoh, like, pays him off. I'm very sorry. This is your fault, but I'm sorry right? Pays him off and says, get out. Family drama. They go, they go land in another, another spot. Oh, go back. I'm not done yet. Go back to another spot. And now Abram's getting wealthy and Lot's getting wealthy and this town ain't big enough for two of them, right? This, this hill isn't big enough for two of them. So there's actually this description of, you know, Moses, or uh, sorry, Abram taking Lot to the, to the to hilltop and saying, let's not have a fighting among our family and people and servants and and he said, you choose which side you want. And Lot said, well, he saw the Jordan River side, and he saw the side that was more lush and green, and really the greener grass side. And Lot said, well, I'll take this side. And Abraham said, that's fine. He honored, he said, I'll, whatever side you want, I'll take the other side. And they actually split ways. Now, there's a war on that side, the side with all the lush green grass and so forth and so on. There's actually a war, huge skirmish. Uh, Lot gets caught up in the middle of multiple kings fighting right? And Abraham gets word that Lot's been captured and all his stuff's been taken, and he's got to get his nephew out of a jam, okay? That's what I call it. And this, the first of, this is just the first of many times he has to do this, all right? Um, he gets 318 men. He charges across. He actually rescues Lot, rescues all the stuff, and comes away victorious. That just brings us up to where I wanted to park in the story in terms of, again, Abram's life and the choosing of Abraham, and the calling. And as we're going to see in a minute, we're going to see the origins. We're going to see the origins of what's called the Abrahamic covenant, or the covenant between God and his people. It's broken up into two spots, and I want to just kind of walk you through two things. But I want you to see the significance of these two events, because it is such a picture. Guys, I'm just telling you, it is such a picture when you read this of our faith through Jesus Christ. Okay? Our faith in Jesus Christ. We always see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. This is no different right here in Genesis, right here at the choosing of Abram and the covenant that he makes. Let's go here. This is 15 in case you want to read along. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm going to protect you, and your reward will be great. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Again, he was already a rich man. Since you've, since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus is my servant in the household. He's going to inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants is going to have to be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own, and he will be your heir. 
Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. I can't even imagine how beautiful that picture was in terms of overwhelming Abram in that moment of the promise of God. This is a really key verse here. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Here's what I want you to see before we get into kind of the details of the covenant. Whenever I talk to somebody about our faith, about the Christian faith, you know, sometimes I get into a little bit of arguments about the rules of religion, because that's what religion is. Religion is based on a great deal of rules. And there's a misunderstanding and a misapplication of the law, okay, of the law, in terms of the Ten Commandments and the law and the things we're given and kind of what's birthed out of that. There's a lot of churches, modern today churches, that have a really hard time understanding the new covenant, understanding the old covenant, the new and the old testament. They have a hard time kind of kind of piecemealing together, if you will, things they want to be true of the rules and the law, and they want to hold people to those things, but they also want to live in grace and they also want to experience the grace of Jesus. But I want you to see this just just as clear as you can. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to see this from the story of Abram. That a thousand years before the law even existed, a thousand years, his belief and faith was what made him right with God. Everybody with me? That Abraham believed the Lord, meaning he believed the Lord's promise to him. And he had faith, trust, That's a surrendered life, a surrendered heart to trust God. And it was because of that, not because of the law, not because of the rules. There was no law. There was no rules. It was just a surrendered life. That's where it started. And guys, I just want you to hear, that is where it has always been. Even when the law came, again, I I can't teach that message today, but even when the law came, it it came to help God's people. It came to assist God's people. It didn't come to wrangle God's people and and kind of put them in some religious faction. It came to assist them to be the greatest nation. That's why the law came. But the thousand years before the law, this was as clear as day. Because of his belief in God and his faith that God gave him right standing with himself. Now, we're going to keep going. In this same conversation, the Lord took him and said, look, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans, because he worked through his father, to give you the land, this land is your possession. He's talking about the land of Canaan, the, the promised land. And Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be, what's the word? Everybody say it out loud. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be sure of anything? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't you like to respond to prayer in that way? You're listening to the promises of God, and you go, God, how can I be sure that I'm actually going to possess it. Well, Lord told him, bring me three, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Quick note, this is just three years old, meaning fully grown, um, ready to be used in, in a sacrificial manner. That's the main reason it's there. Abraham presented all of these to God and then killed them and he cut each animal down the middle, and he laid, them, laid the halves side by side. So if you can picture this bloody mess, okay, that's the sacrifice. Cut them down the middle, laid them apart side by side. Did not cut, however, the birds in half. 
goes on to say that some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham, you know, spent the night kind of chasing them away. Now, this ritual, just to let you know, this ritual was kind of a, an eastern royal kind of ritual that was done for kings and knights and servants when they were kind of doing land grants to them uh, so that they could have land, so they could have this stuff in perpetuity. So it was, it, was a, it was an oath, it was a covenant, it really is a covenant, and it was a physical ceremony, if you will, that Abraham would have recognized, would have understood what was going on. Because he said, God, how can I be sure? So God has him perform and, and, and set up this ceremony. And as the sun goes down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. Most scholars believe this is just a presence of, of Abram knowing he's getting ready to hear drop, God to drop on some knowledge to him and it's not all going to be pleasant. You know, it, he was seeing a little bit of the future in this moment. It says, the Lord said to him, Abram, you can be, what's the word? But listen to what he says. You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for over 400 years. He, he reveals this to Abram. Can you, be, can you imagine reading this and hearing this? You know, 2,500 years later, I'm sorry, about 1,000 years later. Can you imagine reading this and hearing that Abraham was already given the revelation that his people would be slaves in Egypt, in a foreign land? goes on to say, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them, which is true. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Also true. As for you, you're going to die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. Boy, wouldn't that be nice to be sure of, right? Way to go, God. I'd love to have one of those prayers. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. Whole nother sermon, but it's part of their history. So God reveals this heaviness that comes is God sort of letting Abram get a peek. It ain't all going to be roses, but you wanted to be sure, and I'm going to tell you what you can be sure of. And it says that after the sun went down, darkness fell, and Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Pass between the halves of the carcasses. And he says, the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. That was the sealing of the covenant. And said, I've given you this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land that's now occupied by, and he goes on to talk about all the Amorites and bugs and ten nations, basically, that, that currently reside there. God's saying, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm sealing the promise for you. And that's something really important for you to notice here. Okay, again, just, just picture the plan. Picture the nature of God in this moment in terms of our faith, right? God's covenant with God's people was sealed by God himself. God's covenant, this original covenant with God's people choosing Abram, you're going to be the father of a mighty nation. It's sealed. It's secured. It's made sure by God himself. Guys, Abram didn't even have any part of the agreement. He just set up the sacrifice. He just did, he was just a part of the process. But God himself, part of that 
you know, that fire pot, that, the, tor- the smoking pot and the torch, that would have that been basically a symbolization to the, to, the, to the Jewish people reading it at that time that would have remembered how God led them through the desert by, by, by a pillar of smoke and cloud and by the fire. Like they would have remembered, they would have seen that as God. And it said here, this, this image of God, God walks through the, the middle of the carcass. What that represented when, when a king did it, is the king said, this is what was happening. The king would have been like, let this happen to me if I don't fulfill my promise. Everybody with me? The king who did that for his land, Granite, would have said, let th- this is how significant this is. Let that happen to me. May I be cut in half and split apart if I don't fulfill the promise. God was, was basically saying, may it be cursed on me if I don't do everything that I just said I'm going to do. That if you can't be sure of it all. I love the way the author of Hebrews, writing to the Hebrew people, again, this is the New Testament, where after Jesus has been raised and the church has begun, the writer of Hebrews is writing the people of God and helping them get a picture of this. He says, by the example, God's promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abram waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with this oath so that those who receive the promise could be, just read the two words out loud as loud as you can, perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Thousands of years, okay? Thousands of years. In this moment where the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, we can continue to be perfectly sure. Perfectly sure that it was that it was his belief in God and it was his faith that gave him right standing with his father. And that the promise for God's people, he could be perfectly sure, was going to remain. I love that. To me, it's such a beautiful, beautiful picture of our faith in Christ, right? Of our faith in Jesus because that was, this was always the plan. This was always the plan for our faith and our belief in God to be the thing that secures us, that surrendered life. Not the rules, not the religion, not the faction. That that was all stuff that man sort of began to muddy up. You could be sure. Wouldn't it be great to be sure, right? Now, here's why I believe, let me just give you this quick thing. Here's why I believe that God wrote the Bible. He used human authors, correct? He used Moses, Here's why I believe God inspired man to write these words. Because there's no way we can read the rest of Abram's story and believe that for any reason man would have written it. Okay? Why? Because when men write things, we make ourselves look as good as we possibly can. Can I get an amen? Yeah? Okay? We do not. Listen, I don't care what your journal says under your bed. You don't even write the darkest stuff in there. Okay? We do not hang our stuff out to dry. Our dirty laundry, we don't do it. 
Man will not, man who writes history will always show the hero to be man. God who wrote the scriptures, the holy text that we have, shows that the only one blameless in all of it is God and Jesus. That's it. That's why I know that man did not sit there and try to figure out a way to get you and to me to believe some religious story. When right here, Abram's given the, the assurance that the, he's given a covenant with God himself, and yet we continue to see Abram struggle with the same tension that you will see every hero of the faith struggle with throughout now the Old Testament into the New Testament into our lives. They will struggle with living God's way or our way. Everybody with me? It doesn't matter that he was sure. I mean, <laughs> Sure. He still took matters into his own hands. He still waffled between doing and obeying and surrendered living to God and living his own way. Again, brief, look it up on your own uh, summary of the next however many years, okay? I'll go through it quickly. But this is, this is it. Just for you to get a, a little witness here. The next thing we see is Sarah is so distraught about not being pregnant and about the promise that God gave Abraham, he, her idea is to give Abram her servant, Hagar, to have children with, which he does, which causes nothing but problems, which causes nothing but infighting, which causes Hagar to leave, which God then tells, promises Hagar that she's going to take care of him. She's going to take care of the baby that's born, that his promise is going to remain. Okay, that he's going to take care of her. Matter of fact, he says, name him Ishmael because it's, it's called God Hears, which he heard her cry. So she goes back into the fold. We see Abram, his name, go, instead of exalted father, his name is changed to a Hebrew dialect is what they're working with. To Abraham, to be the father of many, right? Sarah, and Sarah I mean princess, but um, the, you know, Sarah's name is also changed to reflect the Hebrew dialect. The mark of the covenant is given, meaning that there's a physical covenant ceremony and there's a physical mark, which is circumcision. Circumcision is given, the rule is given, eight days after birth, circumcise every male, this is going to be a sign of the covenant to you and your household and everybody that's part of who you are, even foreigners get to be a part of this thing as long as they're a part of you. And so eight days, well, Ishmael was 13, it says, you know, Abram was in his 90s, Woo! anyway, I don't know, that. Rough going on the first round. But from that point forward, eight days after birth is the rule, right? Goes on to say that, you know, again, Sarah runs into this horrible time of disbelief and, and angels appear and say that God says that you're going to have a baby next year. And she laughs in the, you know, away from him in a tent and God hears it and he gets upset with her. And why did you laugh? Why, why, are you, why, why do you have this struggle of, of doubt? There's a whole thing about Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, I can't go into it, but Lot is rescued because Abraham pleads to God and says, would you, would you kill you know, the whole city? Would you destroy everyone if there's 10 people, 50 people righteous, 25 people righteous, 10 people righteous? God says, no, I won't destroy anyone who's righteous, and he saves Lot. He saves Lot and his family because of who Lot is to Abraham. But Lot's daughters... And Lot's wife takes things in their own hands. She looks back when she's told not to, turns into a pillar of salt. 
Lot's, they, hide, they go hide in the mountains, and Lot's daughters are fearful that they're ever going to be able to have children, so they get Dad drunk, and it's an infest fest, I don't know, incest fest, that's what I'm trying to say. It's, I mean, it's just, again, matters into your own hands. God's way, reward, blessing. Our way, consequences, sin. You see this tension in him and his family. Finally, Isaac is born. Brings him laughter. Sarah's like, God gave me laughter. They named him Isaac because he laughs. That's why. And they get the blessing of that. Then you get into this thing again that it worked out so well the first time. (laughs) Where Abram again, I mean, we're talking about how hot Sarah is, okay? They go to another King Abimelech and they tell him again, oh, she's my sister. He takes her. The king takes her. God strikes the whole place infertile, even though the king never touched her. She shows up to the king in a dream, and the king shows back up to Abram and says, what is wrong with you? And he get, pays him off, and finally Abraham prays for him, and then God heals <laughs> the infertility and heals the, the whole city. I mean, it doesn't, again, Constantly, back and forth, living God's way, living our way, living like I want to live, making my decisions and choices, doing what God said to do. Abraham, is, they send Ishmael and Hagar away because there's infighting and Ishmael's threatening uh, Isaac and the mom wants her exiled and there's a whole, on this, I'm just telling you, there's a whole consequence to the sin of them living their own way. And then Abraham is tested. He's tested, actually, I'm going to go into that next week because it's pretty significant to Isaac's story. Right? Abraham is tested, and he comes through that test, and, oh, gosh, I'm just telling you. He's 175 years old when he dies. Sarah, Sarah um, uh, ends up passing away, and they bury Sarah, and he gets married again and has more sons and children. But, guys, I'm just telling you, this, this is such a rich, rich ancestral story to the people of God. But centered on this beautiful covenant. The, the, the Bible does not shy away from how screwed up Abraham, Sarah, Lot, and everybody else was. Because they still chose every once in a while to take matters in their own hands. And they'd experience the curse and the consequence of sin. And we also see where they obeyed God and they lived God's way and did what He called them to do. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham, right? You guys know the words. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, right? For those of you that don't know this and you think I'm just crazy, those are lyrics to a children's song that we all grew up singing in church. And uh, I don't know, it was like a hokey pokey mixture of things, you know. Anyway, fun stuff. I want to just take this last part because I want to close this out quickly, but I do feel like it's significant to bring this up just because of where we are in our world today. I want you to see the power, the power of God's promise to Abraham, and I want you to see the consequences of sin. There's no, beautiful, there's no better picture than to see where these two things happen than in Abraham's life. This is back in 17. Abraham bowed himself down to the ground and he laughed to himself in disbelief again. Isaac's not born yet. She's not pregnant yet. 
But he says, how could I become a father at the age of 100? He thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So watch this. Abraham asked God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Meaning, can you just not do this through Ishmael? Can you not do all the things you're saying just through Ishmael? Ishmael's already been born. And God replied, no. No. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. He laughs. And I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants. It's an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also. Just as you have asked, I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants, and he will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. Guys, if you don't see this, I want to go ahead and put it up on the screen for you. But Abraham is the father of the three largest religions in the world. He is. Jewish faith, obviously, because of their historical right to Abraham and the covenant with God through Isaac, through Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, who would be the 12 tribes of of Israel. However, because of their choice to take matters into their own hands, and because of the power of God's promise to Abraham, the Islamic faith is born. Now, that's in 7th century. Uh, Muhammad is the reason that that comes together. But if you know anything about the Muslims, the Islamic faith, they trace their entire, entire religion all the way back to the covenant promise of Allah through Abraham and Ishmael. You guys with me? You don't think that's significant? Jewish, Abraham to Jacob, (laughs) Uh, uh, the Islamic faith, Abraham to Ishmael, and then us, Christians. Why? Because when he said the whole world is going to be blessed through you, he was saying, Abraham, your descendants is going to be Jesus Christ, who's going to bless the whole world with a new covenant of grace that's going to allow you and I to become a part of the chosen people of God. Father Abraham, God's power of his promise, even when you have to see the consequences of sin at work. Matter of fact, I'll go back to this quick story before I read the last passage, but when Hagar went out to the desert, she's pregnant, she wants to leave, her and Sarah have been fighting, Hagar goes out to the desert. God comes to her and says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. Just like he told uh, Abram, I'm going to bless him. He's going to have 12 princes and he's going to be a great nation too. But he tells Hagar right then and there, he says, listen, Ishmael's going to be a wild man. He's going to be born in the wilderness and he is going to openly fight and have enmity and angst and conflict with his ancestors for all time. That's spoken to Hagar 
when she's pregnant with Ishmael. Is there a greater conflict 4,000 years later than the Jewish people and the Islamic people? Guys, that's powerful. That's powerful. Now, going back to us, I want you to just see the significance of that. Going back to us, Paul gives a summary of this in a way that, I, you know, why would I waste words when I can just read what Paul wrote as a summary of everything we've just went over today to help kind of close us out. Here's a summary to the church in Rome. Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not upon his obedience to God's law, but on the right relationship with God that comes by. What's the word out loud? Yes. If God's promise is the only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. He, Abraham, was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. He was sure. And because of that Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because, because of our sins, but he was raised to life to make us right with God. That is our story, guys. That's our origin. Our origin and our faith. Even though we do, I mean, listen, we're, we're a New Testament church, right? Like we, we focus a lot on Jesus for good reason, but we cannot ignore and we cannot deny the power of the covenant made with Abraham and how that applies to us. That it isn't about some religion and about some rules and about some things that you choose to follow. It is about our faith in God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word so that we can gain knowledge from your truth and apply it to our lives and allow all of us, God, to really begin to understand our origins in a better, deeper, richer way. May it just prove to be something that changes us internally and causes us to have more faith, more belief, more trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.